Welcome to the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. The show can be watched live, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. It's the Prodigy Maker Show, episode 65, Grip Changes, and it's a bit of a pun because the show is about how grips have changed over the last few decades at the pro level, uh, the evolution of grips, and it's also about when to make grip changes, especially in the junior development cycle. As a junior development coach, I spend a lot of times grappling with the question of what is the best grip or grips for my players, and when and if I should make those changes. And I receive a lot of questions from parents, especially sometimes from other coaches, about how to make a grip change, how to go about doing it, how, when to do the grip change, what age, uh, at what time of the year during a periodized schedule, for example, and maybe uh, most importantly, how, how do you do it? How do you make a grip change effectively? So if you guys have any questions about those types of um, uh, technical problems and um, or any other questions regarding technique because it will be I guess a bit of a technical show feel free to shoot them to me if you have question questions in particular about grips of, of your players or or yourself please let me know we can also talk about grip changes for adults I am working with mm, now more and more uh, competitive adults who are playing nationals and ITF tournaments and things like that, uh, serious adults, and sometimes the question arises, should should we change an adult grip, maybe uh, a classical grip for an older player? So whether you're a younger player, older player, these are questions that often come up in, in training. So I thought that, you know, I was thinking about the show and grip changes, and I said, wow, this is a really tricky topic. There's a lot of opinions, uh, differing opinions about what is the best, quote unquote, best grip and uh, numerous uh, theories about how to go about changing grips. And uh, I think it relates also to my travels in Europe and particularly in Spain, where typically they don't make a lot of grip changes. They're not as um, eager to make grip changes in Spain, which was a kind of eye opening for me. As an American coach, I was trained by uh, a very technical Israeli coach who believed in changing everything and making everything fit a certain mold. And in Spain, I experienced a system or a method that really doesn't force a player into a tech, especially a technical mold. And uh, oftentimes will leave grips alone that I felt were maybe inappropriate or extreme. So that, that, those years studying in Spain for me, uh, I think really have shaped my, uh, my views in a, good, in a positive way, have changed the way that I see grip changes where before I traveled in Spain, I probably was very quick as a young coach to try to make the grip better and to try to get the grips perfect. And I still see that today in the U.S. especially 
in I coach in the northeastern U.S. and I see players from around the country who come to my high performance summer camp in the mountains of Vermont. So I get a, I get a chance to see players from around the country, which is interesting. And I think that many coaches still try to get the perfect grips, and they they are very quick to change grips in the U.S. They're very uh, grip focused, very hands focused, and in my experience in Spain, as a counterpoint, they're very much more footwork focused or legs focused, lower body focused. Um, maybe that's a cultural thing, or it's definitely a difference in the way they teach and observe players. So in Spain, much less focused on the hands and the grips as compared to the U.S., where we are very grippy and hand happy and hand focused. So that's that's kind of an inter- interesting way to think about it just at the onset, you know, the difference I- differences in countries and differences culturally in methodologies. But I thought, how can I start this show without getting into too deep uh, uh, water and drowning myself? But um, questions would help. If you have questions about grips, ask me. Uh, I get a lot of, I usually need video. If you have a very specific question about, hey, is my kid's grip, like I have a seven-year-old or I have a nine-year-old or I have a 15-year-old, and what do you think about the forehand grip? That's going to require, you know, me to look at the slow motion video and maybe even observe them hitting or observe them playing a set, probably better, uh, rather than just hitting. And uh, that's not going to be possible in this format, but uh, you could send that to me uh, offline outside of the show. You guys have my email, chris at chrislewitt.com or chrislewitt at gmail.com. And I do take lots of questions from uh, the audience, and I, I do actually personally review any of it. I have parents and coaches who send me videos of players from all over the world, and I do actually review those personally. So. If you have something like that that you want me to review, please send it to me. I love taking those uh, videos and trying to help you with the technique because I actually think it's a great learning experience for me to see the way players are hitting from around the world. You get video, I get videos from all over the world, so uh, it's, it's interesting for me and, and beneficial for me to see players and the technical problems and questions that their parents have from all over the world. That helps me grow as a technical development coach, which I consider myself a technician at heart. I love working on the technique, and technique often does revolve around grips. So I thought I would start with uh, just a few cautions, and then we can maybe get into specific grips for uh, probably spend more time on the forehand. That's where I get the most questions about what should the forehand grip be. Uh, We can talk about the backhand grip, especially the different variations of two-handed backhand grips. And we can talk about some serve grips. I think it's interesting that the continental grip, which is probably the most well-known and famous grip, is, you know, if you go around the world and talk to different coaches, and even in the U.S., oftentimes the continental grip is not, people don't agree about exactly where the continental grip is on the racket handle. And because this is a podcast and, you know, a video podcast, I'm I'm not going to get into the actual, like, grip orientations. I mean, I'll talk about the bevels a little bit. But uh, for more specific, like, visual demos, I'll, I'll do something. I'll do a video on the court at the club at another time. But uh, I'll do as best I can here without visually getting on the court and, and going over grip structures with the racket with you guys. But um, some cautions if you're thinking about changing grips or you're 
contemplating grip changes. Uh, number one, in the, in the U.S., I think we have a culture that sees grip changes as always positive. You know, like we're so quick to look at the grips and to hyper-focus on grips, as I mentioned, the hands. And I would just, if you're an American parent or an American coach, get a lot of coaches who listen to this show too, just try to understand the bubble that that we are in in the U.S. and the, the world that we're in, the cultural um, the, the, the cultural uh, space that we're in, 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 in the tennis world, and in, in American coaching, we love to, to get grips perfect, and we try very hard to get the grips right and spend a lot of time uh, manipulating the grips. I'll give you a quick funny story, I think. There, there, we have, there are like companies now. I listened to a whole podcast recently about... Um, these two very, very well-known, actually very successful, well-known players who started a company to make like the little little molds for the racket handle to help everyone get the grips right. And I won't say it was a very, it was a very well-known podcast. Anyway, the they were these quote-unquote expert coaches were explaining how it's how important the grip the grips are. Like the whole show. The theme of the whole show, that the thrust of the show was that like, grips are almost everything, and if you don't have the right grip, you're basically screwed, and you can never be a high-level player. And I, I guess we should address that myth right away, because I, I don't really buy that myth. Uh, another example is, uh, like, my point is there are, there are whole companies making products and technologies, spent, people spending their whole careers trying to develop products to, to fix a grip which is like a very, very, for me, a very, very like American approach to tennis teaching. And you just would never see that in Spain. I spent so much time in Spain that that, that occupies my thoughts a lot, the, 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 way, the way the Spanish see junior development as compared to, or, or adult development as compared to uh, in the U.S. Uh, so you see lots of products that try to fix grips, whether they're, uh, molds or there's little attachments that you can put on the handle to keep the fingers in place uh, which I, th I think there's a lot of gimmicks that are really not necessary if you need to change your grip we can talk about this there's just some simple ways that you can do it like maybe use a pen and mark the the grip handle that's one of the simplest ways that I do it just mark the fingers or mark the grip the way you want it and the kid can check it this the student can check it um, so in, in the U.S., one caution is just, just be aware that we are always obsessed with changing grips. And my point is that sometimes we, we change grips and it's very destructive. Like in the U.S., I feel like we, we talk about grip changes. Coaches make a lot of grip changes. And the stories that are, are, are sort of uh, biased or filtered to... To, con to convey uh, to the parents that it's always in the end of the long term, it turns out good. Like the short term, changing a grip is bad or hard. And in the long term, it's going to be good. Don't worry, it's going to be at the end of the rainbow, a pot of gold and roses and, uh, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use. It's all going to work out great in the end. And I just think that's, that's totally phony. That, that's also an, another big myth. Because 
um, so we had the first myth that if you don't have the right, uh, I'm, I'm air quoting, if you're listening to the podcast, if you don't have the right grip, you're screwed and you can't play. And then the second myth is that it, when you make a grip change, at the end of it all, it could be suffering and, and trials and tribulation, but at the end of the grip change, it's always going to be good, which I think is a huge myth that's not true. If you change a grip, it can ruin a player. It can ruin a player more. Like if you make an improper grip change or a grip change with, with a kid who's maybe not ready for it or not emotionally prepared for that or a very sensitive kid or a very insecure kid, we're just going to touch on that in a moment. But like there are, there are instances where if you make a grip change as a coach or a parent, it can really destroy a kid's confidence and sometimes destroy a kid's shot, sometimes their best shot. And I think that is the, like the biggest caution I could give you as coaches or parents. Be very, very careful when you make a, a grip change, especially an important grip change or a, a dramatic grip change, uh, because the way a player orients their hand to the racket is a very personal thing. It's a very, um, uh, it's a very individual, uh, um, individual feel feeling. And, and it's, an, and it's an, an important link between the player and the racket. And when you, when you mess with that, you can create a lot of problems and, and that, can, that can sort of cascade into bigger problems. And you can eventually sometimes destroy a player's confidence. And uh, that is a real, real danger. So that changing a grip can be a good thing because sometimes there are fundamental grip change. There are some, you know, there may be an advantage to changing a grip for a player on a certain stroke. And so it could be positive, but it could also really just destroy a kid's confidence, could um, create a lot of insecurities in a kid's, a lot of doubts that might be very, very damaging psychologically for a player. So you have to be really, really careful, I think, and cautious and responsible when you go to make a grip change with a player. And that, I think, is missing from American coaching because grip changes are, are done like, like at the, the like, like a flip in a coin. Like you just, like you just, they're happening all the time, you know, flip, flip, flip. The, you, you see uh, players get their, their grips getting flipped all over the place. Uh, you know, change, changes everywhere, grip changes all over um, frequently uh, without any like responsibility and understanding of the, uh, the, the, the weight, like the gravitas of making a change like that. It's, it can be, the, the weight of doing that is, is really heavy. It's a big, big change and it can really, really hurt a kid's game. And I just don't think most, especially most younger coaches in the US, they have no clue about that. They're not careful. They're not cautious, and they're very, very quick to act and change a grip that they feel. I'm talking about coaches now that they feel is, uh, you know, incorrect or imperfect. So, uh, as I mentioned, be wary of players who are sensitive, self-critical, or who struggle emotionally. If those types of kids or adults are really not good candidates for a grip change. If you have a player who's a little, maybe unstable, insecure, emotional, sensitive, 
I usually try to work with the grip they have, unless the grip is super extreme and a real, real liability. And we can just talk about that later in the program too, like with the forehand sometimes. If, if it's super, super Western and they can't hit through the ball with power, you're going to have to make the change, but it has to be done along with a lot, a lot of emotional and psychological support. So on the one hand, if you're thinking about making a grip change, you can maybe don't if the player if if there's a risk to the player's psyche if there's a risk to the player's uh, self-esteem uh, uh, that 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 sometimes you got to weigh that against the the uh, the benefits of changing the grip because if if it's um, if if it if the player is going to struggle emotionally and you shatter the player's uh, self-confidence and self-esteem uh, in the process of making a grip better you end up with the worst player, even though the grip is better. So sometimes you're better off with a maybe a grip that's got some issues, and you you work around that tactically. You help the or you help the player technically deal with the with the bad, quote unquote, bad grip, and you you sort of keep their emotional uh, their emotions. You you protect them emotionally, and you protect the player's confidence, and um, you protect their their self their self-esteem basically their their self-worth and i think that sometimes is more important than than um fixing quote-unquote fixing a grip so i think you should be careful and wary changing a grip in older players so the older a player is i think the not that they can't learn it like they're not they're probably a little bit less malleable and, and adaptable as you get older just motorically in terms of like motor learning it's probably true that it's a little harder to make changes when players are older. But I think that's also a myth, a, kind of a myth in changing in grips and, and changing technique in general, that the older you are, you can't change. Uh, like, like you know, and there's like a certain age where you cross over and, and you're just, it's over. Like you just, you just have to be, you have what you have. Uh, I remember I was training with my uh, old coach, my pro coach, um, after college, uh, Gilad Bloom, uh, that Israeli coach whom I mentioned, he's, a, he's an amazing technical coach, and we made a lot of changes in my game in my 20s, which in the, in the end actually were very beneficial for me in the long-term arc of my span of my, my tennis career. But they were probably risky to do it at, at my later age. I think definitely the risk of, of, of messing someone up is higher. Uh, and the skill, you know, the skill that you have as a coach it has to be great, greater. You have to be a great surgeon if you're going to make changes with someone who's older. Certainly the risk goes up because it, it's, it is you know, theoretically and, and probably realistically harder for the, per, for the player to learn motorically as... Uh, and to, just in terms of like the neuromuscular plasticity, you know, uh, as someone is older and as they have lots and lots of muscle memory built up from a previous stroke or a previous grip. Uh, so that, I think there's, there's probably some truth to that, although it's not impossible. I, I don't like when, you know, like adults think that they can never make a change or they box themselves in and say, oh, I just have what I have. It's, it's over for me because I don't like that. That... Uh, you know, come to the game that way either as a coach or a player. Uh, but at the same time, if you have an older player, and it could be a teenager, you know, it could be a high-level teenager. And typically that's true too, the higher level a player is. So if they've been playing, if they developed a lot of skill with a certain grip, uh, 
It's risky, very risky to make a change when a player is a high level, like a top national player. The, the higher you go, international player, uh, high level college player or, or professional player. Sometimes you hear stories about the pros and they're tinkering with their grips. And uh, I think that's pretty rare that that works out well. And I think it can, it can really bomb. You have to be very, very careful changing for someone who's put in their 10,000 hours or more and, and it's got a lot of great skill acquired and you come in there with your ideas of, of what, you know, what, what grip should, what the grip should be. I think that's like, there's a lot of hubris involved, a lot of ego there. And just like be humble, consider that the risk is very high of damaging the player and maybe try to more work, to work more with what the player has. So older players, more advanced players, players with uh, very ingrained strokes, or, you know, through thousands and thousands of uh, repetitions, I, I would definitely caution uh, and, and be very, very wary of changing a player's grips in those situations. Uh, also, uh, another caution is to be careful when you make a change. You know, many times I see a grip that I think is suspect, like with a young kid. Um, for example, you, uh, for example, I had this this little t super talented little girl from Ukraine who who is here in Vermont now, still training at my club, uh, and um, and she's a really talented uh, young girl named Vlada, a very very gifted, uh, really special six year old, one of the best six year olds I've seen in a long time, and and um, her her forehand grip was uh, kind of borderline, kind of like semi Western, you know. And maybe, and, and I, you know, I didn't feel that I had to rush to like immediately change her to a composite or, or semi, or so she's pretty extreme semi-Western. And, you know, I felt like I could, I could, there's time to sort of watch the grip in action, watch the player. And, and you don't have to panic, like, especially with a young kid, five, six, seven, eight years old. Coaches and parents don't have to panic about what's going on with the grip. You can, you can usually still make changes down the road you could change it at eight you could change it at 10 although it is true that the longer you wait the the muscle memory is building up um with the old grip but but still sometimes it's best just to like don't panic like when i was a younger coach i, I used to like immediately like I, I see a grip that i don't like and i'm like bam would change that right away because if we if we don't change it now it's going to be disaster later on like that's kind of a myth like you can change it later you can watch it for a year or two and just like in the hospital like with your doctor you, maybe you have a uh you know a test a test something gets flagged in the hospital and the doctors don't always have to perform surgery right then and there it's not always an emergency you can you know maybe monitor the medical situation and in this case you can monitor the grip over the course of six months or a year or a couple of years and just see like is it is it sliding more is it getting worse maybe the grips you look at it a year year down the road you say it's not too bad and she's managing uh, the players managing uh, to hit the ball with power and the players are managing low balls you know i'm talking about like a if the forehand grip is too Western. But my point is you don't have to always like panic and immediately, uh, sometimes impulsively like ch change right away. Like our tendency is to do in the U S you know, you can sort of sit back, step back, chillax, 
observe the grip for a while and then you can always like you can tell the parents too like I, I do this to parents all the time I say look I, I'm a little concerned about this grip I don't think we need to change it immediately but I'm let, let's 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 flag it and kind of watch this grip and see what it does and sometimes uh, I will make the change a little bit later down the road and at other times I will uh, maybe decide that it looks okay and the player is going to be okay with the grip. We don't have to make that surgery, you know, because whenever you make surgery, there's a risk of complications. And I just wish more people would, would accept that and, and be truthful about that. Is, is um, changing a grip like a surgery, it, it's going to have its complications. You have to be careful about the side effects, of unintended side effects of of going in there and, and tampering and tinkering with with some with the way someone holds the racket, which is a very um, very personal and, and, and important link that the, the player has to the to the stick. Um, so yeah you can you can monitor and also when you're making the change, sometimes the change can be a, like a subtle softer change. Um, if you guys have questions about actually how to make change, I mean I could talk about that now if you'd like. Uh, but but basically, you, you can like be very very forceful, and sort of like um, strict and rigid and dominant in the way you make a change, or you can be like more suggestive and and, and a little, take more like a little bit softer sell with a player. Like you can suggest and uh, and show them the some and, and explain to them sometimes the benefits of the change, or the the, the pluses and minuses. No, oh, I got our first question. I don't know if a grip change is even possible for me at this point. I'm playing tennis at 13 and now I'm 16. When I started, you're gonna have to, that, that came, the, the comment came so fast. Um, can you just send it again? You, uh, it sounds like you had a, a Western grip and you're, you're 13, now 16. And you're wondering if you can change it to a semi-Western. <coughs> This may be, this is one of those examples where tricky, uh, tricky question. So you're 16 now, and would you say your foreign is a full, full Western? Because it depends on what a full Western is to you. Some people have different ideas of what is uh, a full Western. So uh, if you want, after the show, send me um, an email or send me a WhatsApp. Um, and I can check the grip out and sort of give you an opinion. But if, like you're saying, if it's if it's just extreme semi-western, I usually almost always leave that, uh, especially with an older player. Um, another another important point is when you're making a technical change, do you have time to make a change? Because it it takes usually many months to perfect a change uh, with a grip. And some players, whether they're adult players or maybe they're very busy national level juniors or international level juniors or whatever or maybe you're just busy with school and is it really um productive and and realistic to make for a coach to come in or a parent to come and make a change to a grip that where the player maybe doesn't have time to to put in the hours of repetition that's required to overcome the old muscle memory and lock in the new muscle memory you know, it's not easy to learn a new motor skill. When you change a grip, you learn, there's so much to relearn. And another danger I would point out to you now, we're just talking about changing, changing the grip in, in, in the actual trenches, is a lot of times you make the grip change successfully in practice, 
But when the player's actually competing under pressure in tournaments, um, the grip change will, will just, it will revert. Usually it, grips are very stubborn and they'll tend to revert back to, um, back to the old way. Uh, the comment says, I feel like it's impossible because the muscle memory is already there. Yeah, so this is a situation where you sound stressed out. And if I had you on the court, if I sensed that it was like a very stressful thing for you, I'd probably encourage you to, to just work with what you have. Work with your semi-Western, whether it's a, a, a regular semi-Western or extreme semi-Western. Uh, for example, I have a, a top girl whom, whom I'm coaching now. She's going to be number one in the Eastern section very soon. She's a great, talented young lady. And last year, she started with me, about um, 10 years old. And one of the b biggest questions we had right at the onset of our relationship was, was that her other coaches, uh, some other coaches, had been pushing her very hard to change her forehand grip, which was an extreme semi-Western. And it was creating so much stress for her, and she was so anxious about it that it was on her mind all the time, and she was like kind of like they had shown her how to do it, and she was trying to change it, and it wasn't working very well, and she was so unhappy. And so like right at the onset, I took the uh, kind of like the leap of faith, and I, and I said to her, you know what? I don't think it looks that bad. Let's just leave it. You know, I think your because for, her forehand is an amazing weapon already. You can see that down the road it's going to be incredible, and she can spin the ball, and she has no trouble hitting it hard. She has great power, and she can handle low ball. And I said to myself, this is crazy to try to force her into a little bit more conservative semi-Western uh, just because the coaches think, you know, it's going to be a little bit better, like a little more textbook, you know. So I just said, you know, I think your grip's fine. And we started the whole relationship like that, and she's blossomed, she's happier, her confidence is back. Like emotionally, it was so important for her to have someone just in her corner saying, you know what, you're going to be okay, you know. Um, yeah, and and uh, we have another comment here saying that, you know, Djokovic and Rude are are pretty extreme semi-Western, and that is, uh, that is true, uh, especially Djokovic. I know his technique very well, and his forehand grip is quite extreme. Maybe not the full Western, but he's pretty close, like Nadal. And uh, these are various, and Rude too. I have to check Rude if he's as extreme as Djokovic. I haven't uh, analyzed his forehand yet in slow motion, but I will look forward to studying that. He does, uh, I would not be surprised. He's trained a lot in Spain and, and he hits a very heavy ball, lots of RPM on his forehand. He has a beautiful forehand, Christian Rude. Um, sorry, Casper Rude. So uh, yeah, these are examples of guys that make it work. Uh, and, um, this is exactly the grip that, like, the girl who, whom I, the story that I'm telling, she had kind of a grip like that, kind of like a Djokovic grip, kind of, and, and, um, now, uh, a year or so later, she's on track to be one of the top juniors in the country and one of the best in New York. I'm really excited for her, and I, I just think if, if those coaches had been left into their own devices, uh, putting so much pressure on the little kid that she may have left the game, she may have, uh, underachieved, underperformed, and I think that's very common around the country in the U.S. where coaches put a lot of pressure on a kid to, to make the change, and the kid's not feeling it for whatever reason, and, and it creates so much stress and anxiety, 
and it can really backfire. And I just don't think those stories are really told. You, oftentimes you just see like, oh, the, the positive stories, like, yeah, we made the change and then we won the junior uh, US Open three years later because we made the grip change. And I'll give you another example, funny, funny story where, you know, Rick Macy talks about the grip changes a lot or like people like, you know, our, our famous American legendary coaches like a Robert Lansdorp or, you know, Macy tells the story, if you, if you, if you listen to Rick, um, I studied with Rick. I think he's he's really fantastic. I really have great respect for Rick Mace. I think he's a, a legend uh, in the game, uh, American legend coach, and I think he's a genius to be honest. But in this case, he he likes to make the argument. You know, if Roger Federer had a full Western grip, would they still be a, a great player? Or or you know, you name the, the the famous player. But he likes to like make that case. And and I always think to myself, you know. You know, Rick, I think probably Roger would still be pretty amazing if even if he had a Western grip, you know. Um, but um, Rick is one of those guys who, who will make, uh, you know, very, does like to see the, the grip a certain way in, in a very, I uh, would say, somewhat, somewhat rigid uh, about it. But, uh, you know, this is, a, this is how a lot of our leading American coaches teach. And it's filtered into our coaching curriculums through the PTR and the USPTA. And we're just very like grip focused. And, and, and we have the belief in this country that if you don't have a good grip, uh, quote unquote, the right grip, you just, you won't make it as a pro or you won't, you won't be a success. Um, for example, I think it's a miracle that a guy like, like a Jack Sock, you know, American player with a full Western grip, very, very extreme Western grip, uh, was able to make it out of the Midwestern United States. His coaches allowed him to do it that way, and he was able to blossom and become a top professional with an amazing forehand. I think that's 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 a positive story that you don't often see coming out of the U.S. That's pretty rare in the U.S. In I think in Spain, it's a lot more common for a story like that to happen, where like a player is showing a little more extremity, a little more extreme grip, uh, extremeness on the grip, and the coaches sort of back off and say, okay, we're going to work with this player. This is, this is the way they hold it, and we're still going to make this player great. We're still going to believe in this player. I feel like there's like a lot of doubt and negativity and cynicism in the U.S. regarding players who are a little different, and I think that's a mistake. I think it's, it, it's harmful, and, I, and a lot of times I have players, when, when I have a player myself or they come to my camp or my academy and they... I feel like they've been sort of uh, inframed in that sort of system or mentality, or they're 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 under the pressure cooker of a of a of a club or a group of coaches who are forcing them to like make a change. I I try to like protect them, and that's what I did with this one girl uh, just recently, and I think it's been very successful. Now maybe down the road, uh, uh, it, it's proven that uh, she's having trouble with. Uh, certain types of balls or a forehand is a failure, but I doubt it. I think it's, a, because typically I, I think when, when a player has a, something very special, their, their best shot, like a weapon, let's say the forehand, you're crazy to try to make a grip change on something that's really special. It's, it's a much, much less risky to change something that's bad than to change something that's really good. So just like, that's another sort of caveat and caution. Like if you're gonna make a grip change, try to make it on a shot that, that stinks, you know, like, don't make a grip change on someone's great 
asset, like a great, super talented shot that like you could never teach them and they do it magically. They have this gift. Like don't change, don't mess with that just because your brain says, this is not textbook. You know, this is not the way I saw it in my PTR workshop or when I got certified for the USPTA, like this wasn't in my manual. Like forget that, you know, or this wasn't, this is not the forehand the way Federer hits it, like, you know or whatever it is just try try to like try to take a step back and like look at this player and say this player does this something you don't have to always see a, a, a weird grip as something that's negative it can be something special it can be something really unique that gives the player a unique sort of uh, advantage when they play too you know like a western grip you could say it's bad because you have trouble why is a western grip bad like let's get into the forehand a little bit because you have trouble on low balls, skidding balls, fast low balls, and sometimes an extreme western grip, you can't generate, the player can't generate enough pace to like drive the ball for winners through the court. So a lot of, a lot of little kids, if they're too western, I mean, it's a problem. They, they, they can't hit for big power, and, and then they won't have a weapon when they're older. Uh, but at the same time, if you're like extreme semi-western or borderline western, and, and you can hit for power, and you can get down low and dig out short balls, that grip can be a huge advantage because why? You can generate this amazing heavy ball. You know, you can generate this like tremendous RPM and, and a heavy uh, jumping ball uh, because of how much the spin rate that you can put on the ball if you're, if you're strong enough, you know, if you, have, if you have enough fast twitch, if you're able to swing with enough racket speed. So there, there, the case can be made that that a extreme semi-Western or Western grip can be an advantage, not just a disadvantage. Uh, but in general, on the forehand, you know, what is the, the standard pro grip? It's, it's probably a semi-Western. I'm curious to analyze Alcaraz's grip in slow motion. I think he's more composite, like, um, uh, like Federer. Uh, and, but I think that's even rare on the tour. You see a lot of semi-Western to extreme semi-Western, like, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, like, like, like we were talking about Djokovic, Nadal, Rude, um, all the way to Alcaraz, who's a bit more, con I think he's, I, I have a feeling, I'm, I'm pretty sure from the videos and the stills that I've seen that he's, uh, he's pretty close to Federer on his grip. So he would be on more on, on the conservative side of semi-Western, uh, which sometimes is called a composite grip. But basically between like a Federer grip and the Djokovic or Nadal grip, anywhere in there is probably where you want to be for um, if you have like a young superstar coming up or you're coaching a young player. And I get the question a lot, should I start, uh, should I start a young player with um, an Eastern or should I start a young player with a semi-Western? So some really famous coaches believe in starting kids with an Eastern, even though most top pros do not have an Eastern grip anymore. Like that was a grip from the... 70s and 80s primarily, maybe a little bit 90s. Um, I think um, that's okay, uh, but it's harder to learn topspin with an Eastern grip. I think I usually start kids with a semi-Western, and the thought process is that if a kid starts in an Eastern foreign, then over time it may slip, it may sort of move uh, as they get older and, and kind of end up being a semi-Western, but it doesn't always do that, and I just think it it's probably simpler just to teach it the way you want it and monitor it rather than teach a kid an Eastern and then like somehow magically it's going to shift just enough to get it to semi-Western when the kid is older. Like 
I guess you could do it that way, and some coaches advise that. But um, you do have to be careful if you start a kid, and if they're extreme semi-Western, there is a, there is a, a, a considerable risk that they may slip into a full Western where they're closer to, like a serve grip, like basically the grip for the foreign that I almost always change is um, when a kid has basically like a continental grip that you would use for serving and they flip it over and they, they hit a forehand with that grip. For me, in my experience, that grip is usually impossible to get enough power and to get enough pace to hit through the ball. And it's really tricky to dig out uh, low balls. So that grip becomes very limiting on fast courts like grass or carpet or indoor hard. And um, that grip is, it makes it very easy to spin the ball, but very hard to hit winners through the court. So that is one example where sometimes you get kids that are really, really extreme, which I'm, talk I'm talking a serve grip flipped over that that kind of full western, I, I I mean I don't think it's 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 right for me as a as a as a junior coach to leave that uh, in a young kid. So I will move those kids to semi western, um, and uh, otherwise aside from that though I'm willing to I'm willing to you know uh, be open minded with with a kid and monitor rather than immediately trying to force everyone to change. And as a as a coach, and if you're if you're a coach watching this or a parent, please understand, there's there's a human being on the other end of that. Um, at the end, you know, at, at, there's a hand there, and then that hand is connected to a human being. It's connected to the racket, but it's also connected to a human being, and that human being is an emotional feeling human being. And you're not just like changing the hand structure on the grip. There's a person there. And that person may not be as resilient as you, as you, as, as as somebody else, you know. And that person may, like I said, they may be emotional, they may be insecure, they may be, uh, they may have harbor a lot of self doubts. They may be struggling, going through a difficult period in their tennis and life. And changing a grip can be a nightmare, uh, can crash and burn a player. It can be a nightmare scenario. If in, in certain circumstances, and I just don't think that most coaches or parents even even are aware of that, you know, where they just like, oh, we'll just change the grip. It'll be hunky-dory. Everything will be okay. No problem. Might be a little tricky in the beginning, but it, it doesn't always turn out well, and it can cause significant psychological, emotional damage to a player if you mess, if you, if you mess up the whole project. Uh, in the same way, I, I use that surgery analogy, in the same way, like you can go in to get a routine surgery and sometimes you can die. Like if there's a, there's a, a severe uh, mistake that the surgeon makes or sometimes you can, you know, you go into to repair a little cartilage in your knee or you're a little bit of, uh, you know, a torn labrum in your shoulder or whatever it is. And then you find out that the surgeon or the doctor didn't do such a good job. And now you're going back for further surgeries and more surgeries. And, and maybe now you can't serve the way you ever did before, or you're not able to run the way you used to. And that is the danger sometimes of going in there and, and, um, and being invasive, which is basically changing a grip is like one of the most invasive things you can do to a player in terms of technical uh, changes. So be very, very careful and responsible if you're gonna, you're gonna take on a project like that. If you're gonna, gonna perform surgery on a kid 
and do something very, very invasive, you have to have a real a plan, you have to have time, you have to have a player who's resilient and willing to do it, who's emotionally stable and, and confident. And if you don't have those, those things, you can cause a lot of damage very quickly in a player. And some of that damage, some, sometimes the player can't come back from that. And I wish more stories like that, more cautionary tales like that were told rather than the other way around. Uh, but yeah, it just I think that if you can think of it like with the, the medical metaphor, the medical analogy, I think it, it's really true. And sometimes you may not want to go in for that surgery. You may want to just step back and try to make other types of uh, adjustments to make the shot better. Like there's things you can do with your footwork that you can learn to bend your knees and drop down low on low ball. Learn to handle low balls better. You can learn to, to hit through the line of the shot with your semi-west extreme semi-western to western grip learn how to flatten the ball out you know maybe maybe the time is better spent doing something like that rather than like like doing the whole extreme surgery which is the most invasive option so consider that guys uh, do you have any questions about the backhand and the backhand grip serve grip serve grip is really interesting because the serve is usually continental but everyone has a different idea of what continental is so this is just when i get a when i do some more on court videos um uh when i when i do some more on court videos i will explain like the different serve grips but uh first we had a question about the backhand grip so backhand grip uh i will tell you if most people have a two-hander let's do one-hander two-hander one-hander is really interesting because you have more and more players going more extreme all the way to a semi-western one-hander. I really think that the extreme eastern and semi-western one-handed backhand is kind of the future because you can hit the ball much heavier with more spin and it helps you, it helps sort of mitigate um, the weakest part about having a one-hander which is high ball. So mo when you have a one-hander players tend to attack you high above your shoulder and the more semi-western your backhand grip is uh, for a one-hander, it helps you handle to muscle through and spin those high balls. So I think that is a trend that I think uh, is something to be on the lookout for. I definitely don't advise teaching like the classic uh, continental backhand from the 70s or 80s, talking one-handed backhand. That 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 old that very. Um, so does anyone on tour have that grip? Yes, like a like a team, like a Dominic team grip. I think is super outdated, like anachronistic, and I would I would never teach that to a young junior. Or, or I would, I've seen some adults with that grip, who very rarely can they hit high balls well or get spin on the ball. Very difficult to do with like, kind of like a continental one-handed backhand. So eastern to uh, semi-western. If you have a two-handed backhand, okay. The big thing to look out for, I think, is when the left. You look at the left hand. So if the left hand is shifted like to a full western. That can be problematic just like it can be on the forehand so the there are some issues with the 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 right hand too the dominant hand I'm, I'm talking about right-handed players here so you have the left hand on top and the right hand on the bottom so if that front hand is too too much forehand that can be, create kind of a weak hitting structure so there's different structures that players use on the pro tour john yandel tennisplayer.net has done some amazing analysis of the different hand positions um, there's different, uh, I'm not going to go into all of the different structures that there are right now on this, on this particular video, but 
but basically the right hand, there's many different combinations between the right hand and the left hand that are acceptable. But I think the ones to watch out for are when the right hand, which is the bottom hand, the dominant hand, is too far over to the forehand, like an Eastern or, or worse, maybe semi-Western. That creates a very weak, flatter uh, hitting structure. And the other issue to watch out for is when the left hand is past semi-Western. So semi-Western is definitely a, a trend at the top level of the game where you see more and more players on the two-hander and their left hand, so their non-dominant hand is, is more semi-Western, which I think is, is actually a good thing because it gives you more topspin and, and allows you to hit the backhand with high R, higher RPM, kind of like what Nadal does. And uh, But most people are still kind of Eastern, like the classic Eastern on the left hand. And the right hand typically should be a continental, like a serve grip, so you can have disguise for your drop shot and disguise for your slice backhand, that kind of thing. So uh, the biggest things to look out for with the two-hander, like a quick review, is um, that left hand way under, like super western, which can ha cause the same trouble with low balls, the same trouble with miss hits, the same trouble with you know, uh, having trouble powering through the back end. And then the right hand, uh, which is which is too much over to the forehand side, not enough continental. So I hope that helps. With the serve, what's interesting is that no one really agrees about where the continental is. There's like, so I just say like there's continental, there's extreme continental, like, like there's conservative continental, and there's more extreme continental. Um, and then the more you go over, what I teach is the more you go over to the, uh, to the backhand side. So the more you go towards an eastern one-handed backhand with the grip, it helps you get more spin. And and that is uh, a big deal and, and really, really helpful, especially for juniors, any kind of adult that's struggling and getting spin. I think the most important thing on the serve is, is learning how to, how to hold and keep a more extreme backhand, you know, move the grip closer to the backhand so that you can learn to scrape the ball, you can learn to graze the ball better, and you can learn to release your wrist and get a really good snap with the from the from the elbow joint and the wrist joint uh, to imp to learn how to impart spin. And I think a more extreme grip is really really important in terms of teaching spin for the serve, whether it's a kick serve or uh, a slice serve. So the usually for most kids, unless they're very adept like magicians with their wrist, uh, they need help moving the grip over. They will always default to like a more comfortable. Continental, a continental that's slightly more forehand, almost like a, um, um, you know, almost almost an Eastern between continental and Eastern forehand grip, and they feel more comfortable with that grip. They can hit their flat serve really well with that grip, but it's not a great grip for learning spin. And I think that young kids and, uh, of course, adults, serious adults, need to have a good spin serve or they should start the learning process uh, the, with the goal of developing a good spin serve. And I think most kids don't have a great grip structure to develop spin. And so that, that would be the biggest uh, observation that I have about the serve. Um, of course, many young kids have a forehand grip when they're serving. And I actually think that is another area where you don't have to immediately go in and change the grip. What do most coaches in the U.S. do when they have a little kid in front of them is they... You know, a first lesson, okay, serve, let's change the grip. Like, I rarely do that anymore. Like, when I first got certified as a, as, a, as a coach, I probably did it that way. But it's much better, actually, to just kind of like, I like to work on the leg drive. 
or like the footwork on the serve, the explosion, the body posture, like uh, there are things like the power position, like that. That is much more interesting and, and important for me, with it with a with a kid or a, or adult, and and uh, as opposed to their grip. And then once their body positions are better, and I have I also gain more trust, then you can go and start to get the grip where you want. But I think to do the grip first is like I was saying, it creates a lot of uh, insecurity. It, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's very, uh, it, you know, sometimes I'll do it, but if you have a good trust, a good rapport with a, with a player, with a student, but it's a risk because when you start messing with the grip, uh, it, it's very frustrating for a player to just like, the first thing they're learning is the grip because the grip doesn't, uh, when you, usually when you change your grip, it doesn't bring a lot of initial success. So, so the players like, like if you have a player you don't know very well, you're trying to create trust, and you change the, their grip right away, like you're 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 going down a, a dark road because that kid, it, it's not going to be, it's probably not going to be good. And if if you do want to go down that dark road, uh, you got to bring some flashlights. And the 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 most powerful flashlight you got is you, you basically explain to the kid, look, man. This is if we change this, this is going to be really hard, and you're probably not going to like me. Like, yeah, I, a lot of times I'll make that joke with the kid. Like, you got to really like make them laugh and make them understand this is going to be really hard, and you're probably going to hit like every ball out or in the net or whatever or shank it. And if you can get the kid, the, if if you can give the kid like that kind of heads up and like sort of like joke with them a little bit, make them understand how difficult what they're trying to do with the grip, then then they can maybe. Maybe that builds the trust better, but in general, if you just like change the grip and you don't know a kid very well, like probably that kid's gonna hate you, and it creates like a disconnect between the coach and the student. You gotta be really careful. So, serve grip. More extreme to get spin, and and uh, don't try to change the grip right away unless you're a very good salesman and you got some really good jokes, and uh, and you can put a and you can put a player at ease very. Uh, carefully uh very uh uh quickly and 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 uh, effectively with you know with with your words so watch out for that so i think guys it was a pretty good grip changes show we had some good questions uh we talked about the cautions i mean i could get into a lot of details probably i should do it on the court like you know when you're making changes but in general if you make a grip change what what are some of the like the biggest bonehead moves? Like you can't make a grip change and like go play a national tournament the next week. That's not not gonna work in ninety nine point nine percent of the kids. And and um, like if you make a grip change, like don't berate the kid. Don't berate the kid like for 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 lo- for for the grip sliding, backsliding, or like the grip reverting. Like you gotta have more tact, and you gotta have you gotta give a kid. Like to make a grip change, you have to give the kid a lot of emotional support. Like, like if you're in the hospital getting surgery, you don't want your the, the nursing team and the doctor team like yelling at you and making you feel really shitty. Like it's gonna be shitty. It's gonna be so hard, and and people the people around a player who are making the change, they have to understand how difficult it is, and and provide the emotional support, and 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 be there for the player during the hard times that are going to be that it's going to happen that are ahead you know it could be six weeks or eight weeks of pain and usually it does take a couple months and also understand that making a grip change in a drill making a grip change in practice 
is not the same as as making as 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 success. It's not doesn't mean success. It's partial success, but full success means the player can use the grip, the proper grip, the new grip, uh, in a match under pressure. You know, in in the heat of battle, and sometimes. Sometimes I think players n- never get to that point where they're really comfortable with the grip, uh, and and they they bat- they just so all that time is lost, all that all those repetitions that were done, all the time that was spent, all the emotional outlay that was that was put, all the all the all of the energy that was put into the grip change actually never then the grip change never comes to full fr- fruition, uh, like you you see I think that happens a lot. Uh, so just just be aware that even if you make a grip change and, and initially you're like there's like that honeymoon period and you're like oh yeah this is awesome the kid's got it look at him, he's hitting the forehand beautifully that that may not hold up under pressure in a match that may not hold up on the run that may not hold up when the kid's tired or or an adult you know, it doesn't matter everything I'm saying for a kid here applies to an adult uh, so guys I hope that's helpful have some cautions we talked about. Uh, the way I see the grips in uh, the forehand, backhand, serve, and talked about some major bonehead moves. Like, uh, remember, I'll, I'll leave with the last one. Remember what I said. If, if the if the if this is the player's best shot, I don't care, junior or adult. If it's their best shot, the one that earns them 15, 20 points uh, a set, you know, like, oh God, just leave that alone. I mean, and and coaches, maybe maybe coaches, maybe. Try to have a little bit of humility where you look at a kid and they do something really well. It's just different the way than you teach it. It doesn't look exactly the way you teach it, the way you learned it, or maybe the way you hit it. But try to have the humility to step back if you're a coach and say, you know what, maybe this kid's doing something special that I don't really, I would never teach or maybe that I don't quite fully understand, but it's, it's amazing and I'm just going to leave it alone. And that's uh, a lot of times what they do in Spain. And that's one of the reasons why in Spain, one of the reasons, there's many reasons, there's many secrets to Spanish tennis, but one of the the reasons that Spain is very, very successful is because they have lots of coaches who take that approach. They look at the player, they, they see what the player is doing, and they don't try to make like rigid little uh, tennis robots with, with, very, with very narrow... Uh, parameters of technical form. So I'll leave you guys with that. One of the reasons for Spain's success reminds me that I do have a new book coming out soon, The Secrets of Spanish Tennis 2, S-O-S-T 2. If you haven't read my first book, The Secrets of Spanish Tennis 1, the first one, it's a bestseller and it's the really the definitive book on the Spanish method. And uh, that book was excellent, but we have a lot of updates coming, and I'm working hard on those. And the new book will be out relatively soon, sometime, in, sometime coming up in 2023. So stay tuned for that. We've got some really cool stuff also on our online school, clta.teachable.com. I have a new course coming out on the Legends of Spanish Tennis. It's a, a workshop that we did live at the Academy talking about the teachings of Tony Nadal, Luis Bruguera, and Pato Alvarez, and I compare and contrast their philosophies and teaching methods. A really cool workshop that we did. It was a full-day workshop, and we filmed it, and that's coming out very soon, so stay tuned for that. That's at our online school, clta.teachable.com. And 
Like I mentioned, if you have uh, grip questions, technical questions, send me the video, send me an email, WhatsApp me. My WhatsApp's 914-462-2912 if you're international. And uh, you can message me directly with video. I, lo I love getting video of players from around the world. Appreciate that. So, guys, it was a great show. Grip changes. <laughs> Episode 65. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, I'm curious to see uh, if you guys agree or disagree with me about grip changes. Do you understand what I'm saying about the, the way American coaches tend to see grip changes versus what they do in Spain? Interesting. So have a great night. As always, God bless, and I will see you on the next program. We hope you enjoyed the program. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Vamos.